Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all but feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey y'all, I'm Jules. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa, the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly, what's up? Hey Jules. So you are in Panama now, so you have the house. Yes, you've rented the house. And last I saw, you bought a car. So talk about manifesting, right? So we went to sell our car, and we went to all the online brokers and stuff. And the most we were getting an offer for was about seven grand. And then I, then I called, you know, I did CarMax, and they gave us 11100 bucks for the car. It was a 2010. Yeah, it's a hybrid. They love hybrids. So, okay, fine. Now, however, <clears throat> we thought, okay, well, maybe we don't want to buy a car here. Then you're waiting on a taxi to arrive. And Panama doesn't have addresses the way other places have addresses. So, like, there's no formalized address system here. So, there's, you know, you generally know what the street is, but there's no number on any of the houses. And so, <clears throat> people get their mail delivered by mail delivery services where you go and pick it up at the mailboxes because they can't get it to the house. Okay. So no neighborhood mailman, no neighborhood mailman, no 911 service. So we just got tired of trying to argue with people to figure out how to get down to the house to pick us up. And so then we started walking three blocks up to the, the nearest road and saying, we'll pick, we'll meet you on the corner. But then it rains here a lot. And I was just like, you know what? I just want a car. I'm just tired of this. We, we rented a car for three days so that we could go down to David, <clears throat> which is the nearest big city, and set up our bank accounts and do our big like Costco shopping. It's called Price Smart here, but same idea. Um, and you know that cost two hundred bucks to rent the car for three days, which was their minimum rental. 
And we had already rented a car to move from there to here. And it's like, you know, by the time we've done this, we've made a car payment when you add in all the taxis and everything else. And I don't feel like I have the freedom to go anywhere. And so our property manager was by and I said, yeah, if you hear of anybody selling a car, let us know. And I gave her our, our general parameters. And the next morning, she WhatsApps me and says, I'm coming by to pick you up at noon. And I'm going to take you over to see my car broker because he's got your car. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. We'll go look at cars. No, no, no. He's got your car. Yeah. He had two cars, one of which fit my criteria. And we bought the car. So we looked at one house rental and we rented it. And we looked at one car and we bought it because they were exactly what we wanted. Yeah. You said exactly where I was going. It's one, well, like one and done thing. This is the reoccurring theme that has been going on since you've moved down there. So take notes, kids. Manifesting works. You need to learn all this stuff because it works. Uh, you know, we were down with COVID for the two, first two weeks. And so we did not have time. We only had a month rental for the Airbnb. And we found out after we arrived, but before the dog arrived, that the Airbnb that said it was pet friendly would not allow us to leave the dog alone in the unit. And I'm like, well, how the hell are we supposed to go look at apartments and houses if we, if we can't leave the dog alone and you can't take the dog in a taxi and the rentals don't let you put dogs in the rental? Well, yeah, and that's not, that's not pet friendly. They lied. That's not pet friendly. As it turns out, the dog got stuck in Panama City because there were protests happening and they, they closed the roads. And so we got in to see this house a day before the dog arrived. Again, one. One. One keeps coming up. <laughs> so literally Monday, we saw this house. It was the first day I felt good enough to leave the house. And the following day, at 5 a.m. in the morning, the dog arrived. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So we got in just under the wire, right? Very and good. Yeah. So it's it's been a process, man. I'm just telling you. But it's it's been fairly easeful <laughs> for the fact that it's it's had bumps and stuff in the road. It's been easeful bumps. It's still getting you to where you need to be and facilitating getting you the things to make where you're going to be you know, very comfortable and doable and, and all that. All right. Well, we have a very cool guest that's going to be on the show today. Um, and we're going to be talking about shaman kind of stuff, right? All right. So yes, we, we, we have Stephen Black with us today. The one and only. Oh, there's a lot of other Stephen Blacks. <laughs> but not any other people like you. You are a unique human, as I've learned from years of working with you as a student. I do what I can. <laughs> so now, how long have y'all, because I'm the newbie on this, how long have y'all known each other? Three years? Maybe four? I don't, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it's like four now. It's close to that. It's It's been a while. So Stephen uh, was part of the original, original well, a very late addition to the original uh, ritualist training group. We invited like 20 people to come into the ritualist training program, out of which nine said yes. And then Stephen came in, it was like a month, month and a half after we started, right? Yeah. One of our, one of our students knew him and brought him in. 
And out of that original group, Stephen's the only man left standing, only person left standing. This is this is what I'm talking about with shamanism, right? So we do our work and we get to stages where we go, I'm good. And for different people, that stage comes at different times. For some people, it's just enough to stop feeling shitty all the time, stop feeling freaked out all the time and and upset all the time and whatever. And then for other people, it'll be, I want to dig out all my triggers and my buttons, right? And, And then they're like, okay, now I'm good. And then there's the select few who go, okay, I've got myself under under control now. I got a grip. I want to work with other people and help them do this. And those people will step onto a service path. And even within that group, there's a limit for people, right? They'll they'll go to a certain point and then they'll hit the point where they have to <clears throat> let go of some codependent tendencies with clients or where they have to step in and take responsibility for how their actions impact others or where they hit a an energetic piece of work because when you're teaching others, you have to continue doing your work because spirit holds you to a higher standard, right? And they'll hit a point in their personal work where they're just like, nope, not going any further. And they just stop. And it happens. Is it a conscious, like, are they... If I hit a wall and it's, is it a feeling of uncomfortable that I'm just, I'm not uncomfortable doing it? Do I know that I'm actually making that choice or is it, I have distractions coming in that just kind of lead me from this path? If you're, if you're at that point where you're working with us one-on-one or one-on-two in this case, because it's Kathy and me, right? Um, We don't let you not be conscious of that. You know, we'll be like feet to the fire going hello, McFly, you're not looking, hello, anybody home, you got to pay attention. And we'll be like, you've got to choose. You're, you're asking spirit to take you someplace and then you're refusing to go. You need to make a conscious choice or else spirit's going to fuck you over because that's how that works. If you ask for something and then refuse to walk down the path and keep asking for it, spirit will fuck you over to get you down that path because it's going to give you what you've asked for. And if and if that takes breaking all your your bones in your body to get you there because you won't let go of the damn door, spirit will do that. Steven, have you had any broken bones? Are you doing all right, my baby? I have not had any broken bones. Um, it is a continuous process, though, because it's, it's like, you know, you, you make a little bit of progress and sometimes you, you run into things and sometimes you think you got things cleared up and then you know, they come up a little bit. You see a different side of them you didn't address before. Um, it's a definite process. And if somebody does the resistance pattern, they usually melt down. They usually explode energetically. They're just like, ah! and they fall down on the floor and they may even leave spirituality entirely. I've had two different students in 22 years who melted down to the point where they left spirituality entirely. One of them is now circling back and it's been 20 years. So it's been 20 years since she melted down. So when you melt, when you're on a, a shot, well, let me. Let me ask this question because I'm, you know, I'm in kindergarten right now. Y'all are like, you know, PhD level, right? So <laughs> just saying. So, Stephen, how did you, did you go through uh, like the inner peace stuff? I know it was a ritualist 
training kind of thing? I went, I went through the an earlier version of the inner peace stuff as well as uh, at the time, the next two programs were squished together. And so it was a bit more intense, uh, but I went through that <laughs> one as well. That's a nice way of saying it. We, we did what is now two and a half years worth of training in a year. And you live to tell the tale. I live to tell the tale. Dude, you're a badass warrior. Yeah. Okay. I, I did warn them. To be fair, I did warn them that it was going to be quite the ride. I was like, this is the masochist approach to spirituality, and you need to recognize that that's what it is. The, the thing that happens, the reason that people who melt down at that level and leave spirituality, the reason that happens is because they are resisting the piece, the work that they have to do so bad that they literally blame spirit for it. And because they can't take responsibility for it, because if they took responsibility for it, then they'd have to do the work. And so they get angry at spirit and say, you are making me do this and I don't want to do this. And you're doing this to me and it's too painful and it's too much. And I can't, I can't, I can't. I fucking hate you. I'm out. Holy shit. So literally they actually have a meltdown because I was, I was wondering what a meltdown looked like. If it's a, I can't do this shit anymore. Or it's like, okay, I'm having an energetic meltdown. I'm just going to step away. I don't know why I'm talking like that, but we're just going to go with it. So, <laughs> I, you know, if y'all can see me, I, 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 I put my hand up, like talk to the hand. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. The more work you do, the deeper you go. And for most people, as you do the work, you build your courage to do more work. And therefore, it's not a big deal to keep going further. Um, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. Every time you're looking at a deeper piece, it's hard, but you've developed more and more skills as you go to be able to do it. But occasionally people hit something that they just can't, they just, they won't do. And instead of consciously choosing to step away and say, I'm not ready, they push themselves and they're like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then they exceed their own capacity, and then they freak out, shut down, and burn out, <clears throat> flame out, literally. You know, it's an energetic flame out, emotional flame out. So, Have you noticed over your years, is it one thing that sets like the most people off, or is it different things and it's that individualized? It's, it's very individualized, and... It is mostly in the people who hold themselves to ridiculously high standards. Oh, you're overachievers? Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> so, so safe to say, Stephen, you're one of those overachievers. I am not an overachiever. You're not an overachiever. Not okay. An overachiever. I was going to say, were you the exception? You're an overachiever, but you pushed through and you whooped everything's butt. And then now, so you're not an overachiever. Well, that me. Oh, that was you. Okay. That was me. I pushed through. Okay. I, I pushed through to the point where I completely fractured my sense of self and went through my first foundational deconstruction. That was my push through. And then after that, I was much kinder to myself. Stephen, okay. Stephen went the other path. Stephen went the underachiever path. Okay. So, so what is your, okay. So what does your path look like? Um, well, so, I mean, like traditionally I went the, the underachiever path where, you know, you have the, well, it's like the, it's like a, a, 
the way to cheat is that, you know, you, you set up the expectations that are, they're not where you really could be. They're, they're significantly below that. So then it's super easy to go over it because, you know, it, you're, you've been underrepresenting yourself. Um, and so that's been traditionally my approach. Um, how does this relate it's to shifting now, right? It is totally shifting now. Yeah. 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 Um, but there's, it's like you have you have stuff that the overachievers need to go through, and there's like different stuff that the underachievers need to go through because it can be like similar, but then it's like approached from different different angles, so they're slightly different stories. You knew that you wanted to get to the end, I'll say, or and it's it's not even the end; that's not the right word, but but advancing your shaman journey, okay? And you're gonna get there. You just knew you had you had to do baby steps. So to, to build that, that, was it related? The way I'm going is, was it related to your courage muscle or was it related to you didn't want to kind of like burn yourself out and you did want to be successful in that? Well, so for me, like the, the whole reason I started was because um, I, I did a lot of art projects and I saw how it was self-sabotaging the art projects. Um, I knew that I needed to do personal work to address the issues so that I could I could be successful with my art. Um, and then it was like, well, you know, I'm still not successful with my art, so I can go deeper. And then it's like, oh, that, but I can still go deeper. I'm not successful yet. Hey, th- I could be a shaman. Sure, let's do that. When you have overachievers, the biggest challenge is giving yourself credit for what you do and seeing your own value. Underachievers have a similar challenge because even though the overachievers are proving to the outside world all the time, I'm good enough, I have to prove it, they still don't believe it on the inside. Whereas the underachievers don't believe it on the inside and they convince everyone around them of the same thing. Okay. Now, Kelly, did you know... Well, I already know the answer to that. You already knew that he was doing the underachiever thing. Oh, I, I never try to hide that. Okay. Okay. Well, and, and it never actually came up as part of our training process um, it, until, well, I mean, it never came up in the beginning. Stephen came out of, uh, uh, out of a pagan background. So he had a lot of the language that Kathy and I work with. We didn't really talk about underachieving versus overachieving. This was a very early version of the program, if you remember. And he never presented as an underachiever in the course. So that was his childhood pattern was underachieving. And and to a certain extent, I think you had that for a while at work too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the yeah. similar patterns. Yeah. But somehow in the work he was doing with us, it didn't really manifest. Except in the fact that he would be very quiet. He would know the answer, but he wouldn't say anything unless he was called on. Classic underachiever. <laughs> yeah. So we, we kind of had to dig information out of Stephen to get him to moving in his process. And and still occasionally that still shows up, but not not nearly as much as it used to, especially since he's the only one in the class now. <laughs> Oh my God, dude, you're getting a lot of personal attention. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So what is that like working with Kathy and Kelly and you're like, get basically private lessons. It is totally private lessons. Yes. With two shamans. Yeah. Uh, it can be a little intense at times, but, um, you know, you just have to step into it and do the work. 
And he also gets to decide what he wants to learn, which is kind of cool, too. It's true. Definitely cool. That he is right where I was going. So I know nothing about what you're doing. So what kind of things are you learning as a shaman? Is it uh, you have to like teach people how to become shamans? What's what is what is that kind of stuff that you're studying? I facilitate the Inner Peace 101 program. So I am helping people at the very earliest steps of the process. Um, so right now we're doing like uh, energy healing. We've done uh, like uh, the guided meditations and journeying. And uh, so we... Ritualist training. Ritualist training. Oh, yeah. How to be a ritualist in a retreat setting. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Stephen is certified as a ritualist for our retreats, as is my husband, Jeff, um, who was in the program with him for a while. So they learned sound healing. They learned how to design their own basic ritual station so they would know how to do that and how to connect it into the larger picture of the whole and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's we're, we're talking about how to hold a gateway, right? So... The gateway is the most basic form in in ritual training because that's how you get into a a ritual and sometimes how you get out of a ritual. And holding the gateway is probably the hardest job in the entirety of the ritualist team because you have to be able to energetically test the person to make sure that they're ready. You can't let them in or out unless they're ready. Is that kind of like doing a a mini energy scan or something when you're going into their energetic field. So when you're when you're holding a gateway you're actually hold you're you're actually channeling the gateway holder. You're you're channeling the energy of the gateway itself. And the gateway it, it's it's kind of like the sword and the stone. Only the worthy shall pull it from the stone, right? It's like only the ready shall pass the gate, right? So it's it, it's it's that kind of test. And it's a it's literally just feeling into the readiness of the person and and holding the gateway and not not feeling bad for them if you have to say no because then the codependency comes up and you got to deal with all that right but so you know it's it's a lot of pieces and there's a lot of pieces and parts and I can't teach the whole thing on here because that's not what this is about but the idea is that you know we were working we're working with him and with the other ritualists who were being trained to hold space for our retreats how to hold the different elements and how to do the different pieces. Kelly, you and I have talked about like um, with me, how different I am from when I started to on the, on the opposite, you know, tail end of getting out of inner peace one-on-one and now, you know, working with MSC. So Stephen, posing the question to you, how much different are you now when you started four years ago than mm-hmm. from where you are shaman sitting here today? I'm significantly different than when I started. I'm not only that, but I'm also different from like the last time I was on the show because I just just keep growing and changing. I'm not done yet, right? <laughs> yes, Stephen was on in episode 77. He was the shaman in training uh, in episode 77. And so, you know, <clears throat> at that time he was just in training. Now he's actually taking over uh, inner peace, and he will be taking over Mastering Spiritual Evolution, the next program after that, uh, at the end of this year. So, you know, obviously, from my perspective, I believe he's changed a lot because I'm trusting him with my with my programs and with my students. 
Um, and, you know, that was an apprenticeship type of process. So, Stephen, why don't you talk about your journey and what it's been like for you? Well, I mean, it's been pretty peaceful. Um, uh, so, I mean, I take an explicitly, like, gentle and easy approach to things. But even though things are, you know, pretty peaceful, sometimes it's like you have to, you have to like, deal with the, with the problem. Even if it's a stinky problem, it's in the middle of the room, and you've been doing a really good job at ignoring it for a long time, you know? And so what's that like for you? Well, sometimes that can be hard. Um, sometimes it can be tricky because it's like, oh, you think it's, you think it's a really small thing, but then it's like you keep pulling and it's just bigger. Well, and it's like you run into foundational deconstruction. And I really think that some of the people, when they just kind of leave, it's like they, they run into something that would cause foundational construction of a part of them that they identify with so much that they are unwilling to, to, to address it, right? Um, it's like, oh, I don't want don't to touch that. That's actually me. So I'm going to stop here. So for me, it's like I'm, I'm willing to like to – well, there's – well, when when you think about it, it's like what part of me is actually me? Uh, from it, that's like really relatively small in my case. It's like I don't really think that there's a whole lot of me that's actually me. It's just ideas that I like. So there's like a, a network of ideas, and I'm my ego is the network of ideas, but the actual part that's me is like super small, and you know manages that network of ideas. Um, which allows me to change the ideas while still being me. I'm going to relanguage it a bit. The idea is that the part you identify as being you isn't the ego. And for many people, for most people, the part we identify as being us is the ego. And when the ego is who you think you are, then changing a core foundational concept of that ego becomes very threatening to the self because you think I'm not allowed to be who I am. Or you think I, I, I have to be wrong and I can't be wrong about who I am. And, or, you know, I no, but I am this person. I don't know who I would be if I wasn't this way. I don't like for me, I was super perfectionist, you know, everything had to be done 120% and you know, I had to do everything to the best of my ability and whatever. And, and when I did my foundational deconstruction, that got left out. And I was like, no, they can't get left out. That's who I am. But it's over there. It's not, it's not here. How, but who am I if I'm not perfect? I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. And I was like, but clearly I don't need to be because it's over there, right? And so I was like, okay, I'll try being not perfect and see what happens, you know? It, it, you have to be able to make that transition and be like, oh, oh, but my value is all tied up in being perfect. Who am I and how do I find, how do I be valuable without that? That's what, what Stephen is saying is when he's not attached to being anything in his ego, then shifting the ego isn't nearly as hard as when you're identified with it, when you think it's you. Because you're not weighted down by that, pre, I'll say, preconceived notion as to who you think you are, but you're really not. But you can't see who you really are because you keep getting in your way. Hence, the yeah. ego keeps getting in the way. So 
So, so the pre-kindergarten analogy, if I'm trying to channel and you always tell me the ego's got to step aside so that my, my right brain side can come in and hold the space and all that. So it's kind of like you can't see yourself because that ego is still in, in your way, you know, so you got to shift that ego off to the side and not be married to it, not be tied to it, not let that thing, thing define you. Yeah, the further you go in a shamanic process, the less and less you identify with anything. You you start to just question every thought you have. So, like Jules and I have been having these ongoing conversations politically because, you know, she's on one side of the political spectrum and I'm on the other and we just keep sending each other shit that we find on the internet, right? <laughs> well, what about this? And what about that? What about this? What about this? Right. And, and, you know, we, we, we have the, the brilliant option to do that because we are both reasonable humans who don't have to say you suck if you don't agree with me. So <clears throat> you can't be my um, friend anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. so, but, but we're challenging each other's beliefs is basically what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm challenging yours. You're challenging mine. And as a shaman, I live for that shit. I engage it because I want to know where my beliefs are and what and how much I identify with them and what that impact is that it has on me as a person and the choices that I make. Um, anytime I find myself knee-jerk reaction, reacting to anything, I go, oh, that ain't right. And I back up and I go, okay. A knee-jerk reaction is a, an entrenched belief. As a shaman, I want no entrenched beliefs, including the entrenched belief that I want no entrenched beliefs. Right? <laughs> totally. I need some magic mushrooms after that one. Okay. <laughs> but that's what, that's what doing this journey is about. It's about really questioning everything all the time. Right? Because that's how you free yourself. From things that hold you down. It's trying not to fry my brain right now, but it's, 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 it's getting there. So generally speaking, letting go of all that we think that we know, and I'll say in a healthy way, because again, going through this process, at least with you, because I don't know anybody else's stuff, it's you're a huge proponent of you're not going to learn the magic stuff until you get rid of all your shit that you're bringing with you because you don't give a car to a toddler and say, have fun, you know, there's a responsibility. Most of your shit, shit, right? Um, Yeah, because way back when, I would have loved to learn how to throw fireballs. I'm just saying, you know, (laughs) now I can kind of (laughs) woos up. This is why we don't give that to you. This is why, you know, I'm like, (laughs) you just wait, you know. Right, exactly. But, and this actually answers another question that I asked you way back when in some other episode that we did of, okay, yeah, but how do you do that? So like whenever you're talking to your spirit guys and pretty much you channel it like automatically, I'll say, and I was going to, Stephen, if you're find this the same kind of way, that's again, it frees up all of that noise as far as communicating with spirit guides, with spirit, with the universe, with insert thing here or the, the thing i don't know what all to call them but and if you want to astral project if you want to do these things because you're not bound by your ego driven kind of beliefs that frees up your mind and frees up your ability to do those other things and to me it would clear up the 
the noise in the channel when we're trying to communicate with our higher self, with the universe, with spirit is kind of sort of maybe. Well, I mean, I'm still on the path and I still have stories that get in my way. Um, so it's it's not like it's a I'm at a point where it's like a, a cure all. Right. Um, so it's. I'm I'm still progressing. There's there's things I can do more easily than others. Uh, you know, there's but I still have my limitations. Um so I mean for me, I don't always think in words. So sometimes I just like think in thoughts, which is like very um it's, it's like it's very close to like thinking in just pure energy, right? Um You're an abstract thinker. Yeah. This yeah. is why he's a computer programmer too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, But it's like, you know, if I want to like play with play with an abstract thought or play with an abstract energy, then, you know, I can do that relatively easily just because of, you know, how my brain works, really. Did that answer your question or did I get on a tangent? It it did. It 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 both. (laughs) Yeah, it it did. So um, because what what I struggle, what I'm working through now, we'll say struggle with what I'm what I'm working through now, what my level is being able to more easily recognize my spirit guides when they're hanging out with me, communicate with them, hear what they're telling me, you know, either if it's literally in my head, because sometimes they'll talk to me and it's literally in my head, you know, or if I feel it or all of a sudden I just poof know it, you know, um, and paying attention to those. And so that's kind of where I'm at now, and I'm I'm working on building that. And so I was wondering with you at your state, um, further along the journey um, and on the shamanic journey, have you found that that noise or the challenges of hearing those messages and all that, that that has gotten easier? The fact that it's easier doesn't necessarily mean, well, it's like, it's like, you know, it's easier maybe to hear the message, but it doesn't always mean that it's easier to like follow the message, right? Oh yeah, honey. I just want to hear the thing first. We'll worry about following it later. That's that's no that's child. I got to walk before I run. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. So you know, I mean, when I was at Stephen's stage, I was hearing the messages and telling my guides to fuck off. <laughs> I was like, "You want me to do what? I'm not fucking doing that. You have lost your mind." You know. Steve, I was really pissy with him. Well, I mean, as an underachiever, it's it's more my thing not to tell him to fuck off, but then just to look at quietly ignore and do something else, you know. <laughs> so you politely tell him to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll do that. I'll just have a few other things I need to do first. It's like, uh, well, <laughs> I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. And I'm just going, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Wait, I did not hear that. Is that you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So so we all go through stages. Yeah. <laughs> and and kids, just so you know, when I started this, I'm like, a spirit guide is doing what? They're, what do you mean they're talking to me? They're what I can't hear them. Wait, what, huh? Yeah. So <laughs> So it's it's all along the journey, all along the path. It's all a spectrum. That's right. I love um, it. So, Stephen, list some things that are significantly better for you now than they were four years ago in terms of the journey. I've had, like, legitimate anxiety issues in the past. And, 
you know, I, I started with my particular new talk therapist at like the same time that I started working with Kelly. And, you know, you, even she's commented on how, how well things are doing for me. Uh, I don't have anxiety issues at all anymore. I, my base mood at this point uh, is happy. That's like my standard. So it's it's like, you know, that's a pretty good standard. Absolutely. Do you know how many people were like, oh, gosh, I just wish I were happy. You can be. That's awesome. OK. Anything else? Well, the other thing is, I mean, I have I have two kids and um, it's like they, they keep growing and changing. But the fact that uh, I can recognize when they are they're like me, even when they express it totally different and I can like handle it because it's like I dealt with my I dealt with my stuff and I can deal with similar stuff popping up with the kids. Even even if it looks a little different, it's like, yeah, that's totally like me. Um and it's it's so much easier when I have myself under control and I understand what's going on with me to be able to to uh, to to have empathy and like be able to support my children. Um, so that's like that's like my kids are uh, eleven and thirteen now. So it's like they're getting into some potentially challenging years, and it's like they they still like super enjoy my company, which is. Which isn't always a de facto truth when it comes to parents in these age. No, you were supposed to be uncool at least a year ago. <laughs> yeah. I may very well be uncool. I mean, but they still enjoy my company. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're you're still cool. They still enjoy your company, yeah. you know. You've done better in, in your job. So you've yeah. So you got a job that paid significantly more and that is more flexible, huge progress. And that's not even counting the magical side. So, you know, you're, you're far more adept magically than you used to be. You know, it's, it's very interesting to me. The reason I turned over inner peace to Stephen originally was because I had him coming in and answering questions in the group. And then I would give him feedback on his answers. And eventually he started giving answers that were better than mine. And they were better, not because they said something more profound than I said, but they said it with more words and more explanation than I would have. And I recognized that my students needed those more words and more explanation. And I was not inclined to do that. And at that point, his answers became better than mine because they were more of what the students needed, right? <clears throat> and so that's why... He took over inner peace, and that's why he'll take over mastering spiritual evolution as well at the end of the year. It's kind of like asking, you know, you said this was the PhD program, right? So if you ask a PhD professor, you know, to answer the question of a kindergarten student or a high school student even, um, they're going to give answers that are often not at the level the student needs to understand. And so Stephen being closer to where my beginner students are is is giving better answers for that reason, because he's been there more recently. Right. And he knows he knows what needs to be said and how it needs to be said. So it's it's pretty awesome. And what's interesting from my perspective, hearing you say that uh, with talking about what you were just saying, that had you been tied to your ego, had you been tied to your pre um all of those pre-beliefs that you had, 
um, you would see him as a threat, possibly, right? And it'd be like, okay, Stephen, you need to shut on, shut down, shut up, sit down, whatever. I am the shaman of whatever, you know, I, you know, I am said master PhD shaman. You still a student, buddy. Let me tell you one thing, but you're not doing that. So that proves that in your heart, in your spirit and everything, um, you embrace the shamanism, right? Not being tied to ego. And you're also passing that on to him, you know, and your students and all of that. So um, that was just an interesting little, completely losing my words. Um, reflection. Reflection. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I hadn't thought about that, but um, I hear from a lot of other people who take shamanic classes from other teachers. I have had many people come to me and say, yeah, this person had really interesting things to say, but when I felt like I was complete with them or when I felt like I was, you know, if I, if I really started to understand something, they immediately changed the rules or they told me I was terrible or they said that I wasn't ready or they ripped me to shreds. And it's exactly for that reason, because they were not doing their ego work. They were So what happens when you come into a, a training program with somebody is you hand over your power to them to a certain extent because they're your guide and that's appropriate. You don't know where you're going. You need them to tell you where to go and what to do. And, and you know, that's what happens with beginners, right? <clears throat> well, at some point, when you start to get your feet underneath you, you need to start taking that power back, right? And start to design your journey for yourself, which is where Stephen is in our training at this point is that, you know, we're like, okay, so what do you want to learn next? What do you want to learn next? These are your options, right? And, and he's choosing his path, right? And that's because we're here in service to him, rather than him being in service to us, right? And that's the difference. And in, in, in a hierarchical situation, you're in service to the great guru on high, right? But in a, in a true spiritual context, the goal is to have everyone be self-sustaining and self-powered, uh, right? They have to be within their own spiritual warrior self, right? Their spiritual self, not even warrior, right? And you can't get there if you're worried about how well they're doing and whether or not it makes them better than you. You, you just can't. It's impossible to take someone where they need to go if you're in that space. And so you know, I can't tell you how many people I've had to do healing work on when they were trying to complete with honor with their shaman and say, thank you so much for, for everything you've given me. I, I honor everything you've given me and I'm ready to move on. And the shaman goes, no, you're not. It's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's, well, I'm still leaving, but now I don't honor you anymore. Right? Oh my but, God. As a shaman, if you use the power that people hand to you, then you have to keep them under your thumb in order to keep the power. But that's what happens is if you believe that you need other people's power to be powerful, then that's what happens to you. This is the other reason why I do so much work with people on their personal power before I work with them on magic, because I want you to be really clear that you don't need anybody else's power. Yours is fully sufficient. And, and to the extent that it's fully sufficient, you don't even know how much more there is, right? Because there's so much more than you can possibly imagine. Even I right now believe that there is so much more that I'm not tapped into yet that I still need to expand into. Okay. So yeah, Jill's eyes just went wide. 
Buckle up, bitches. <laughs> but this is, this is what we're talking about with this, right? I mean, it's a, it's a deep discussion because when you study with people who have limiting beliefs about themselves and their power, they will pass it along to their students and they will do damage to their students when their students threaten that. And that's the piece that you have to be very careful about when you're choosing a path. So, you know, if, and, and, you know, we're not having this conversation right now, but I'm just going to give one piece, which is if you're thinking about studying with somebody, ask to talk to somebody who is no longer studying with them, who used to be a dedicated student and went with them for quite some time and now is no longer with them and ask for that person's perspective, because that's the only way you really know. But yeah, it happens in a lot of different, not just shamanic, it happens in a lot of magical traditions that, that there's this thing. Yeah. So thank you for noticing that that's not what we do. Yeah, no, no. Because from my perspective, it's it's the actual opposite. To me, um, you gain power when you, as you say, you give it the power basically back to the student. and But you don't actually give it. They actually reclaim it as they're going through the process. So for then said shaman to try and keep that student's power, that goes against everything that being a shaman stands for from, from what I understand. Right. And because that's selfish, that's manipulative, that's damaging. So how can you hold yourself out as a shaman practicing these principles and all, but yet you're doing damage to your students, you know? So so anyway, well, just my little fear. Not every not every shaman is practicing transformational shamanism. Okay, Some so it's so a different kind traditional of traditional shamanism, uh-huh. which is a different thing. Oh, that's right? a different thing. Okay. And yeah. So not every shaman is practicing the path of of working with people on becoming healthy, strong, empowered pers- people. That's what the transformational shamanism path is. Shamanism, traditional shamanism is much more about connecting to the ancestors, connecting to the spirit world and spirit guides and the upper and middle and lower worlds and about doing doing rituals and, and things like that. Um, we use some of those elements as part of our work, but that's not the focus of our work, right? So it's important to understand that that not every shamanic path is equivalent. So. Wow, this has been a really rich conversation and a really long episode. <laughs> Dude, the journey is long and the information is abundant. <laughs> There's a lot well, of information. Like we, we didn't give Stephen a lot of time to talk. I'm sorry, baby. We'll have to come you, have you back on again. Bills <laughs> and I are like, ah! <laughs> We'll have you back on again. We're gonna we're gonna make you a more regular guest because people should know who you are. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So if this has sounded interesting to you, you know, and you've probably been binging for a while because that's what happens. And about every 120 episodes or so, you know, 80 to 120 episodes, I say, if you've been binging, it's time to set up a discovery call because that means that you're in alignment with the work. And if you've made it this far in the, in the, uh, the podcast today, you're definitely in alignment with the work. And if this is, has not scared you off, then you are my peeps, right? because uh you know it's this work is so awesome and it it frees you in ways that you cannot possibly imagine but it is 
it's not for the faint of heart. And I don't want it to scare you because the beginning part is not not scary. It's really not. The, the first couple of programs are not scary. You're, you're in the second program, Joel, right? No, not, not scary at all. And it completely happens. So, so, so for kids, if you, you know, you know, not up to Stephen's level, you know, and, and, and astral projecting everywhere and, you know, having coffee with your guides yet, the fact that you're binging the episodes, that's the universe going, hey, McFly, it's time to do, it's time to sign up for the email and it's time to do a discovery call. That, that's the universe, you know, tapping you on the shoulder or hitting you upside the head in my case. And you can start by doing the Boundaries for Empaths download on the website. It's a free download. It doesn't cost you a penny. But do me a favor. Don't download it unless you're going to commit to opening it and actually doing it. Because it will not work for you just sitting on your freaking hard drive. Okay? This does not work through (laughs) osmosis. It does not work through osmosis. So go to the website, download the Boundaries for Empaths program. And you will get a, a preview of how the energetics work and how we work with you and things like that. And then you'll you'll get on the mailing list and you'll start to hear more. And, you know, you can also sign up for a discovery call when you're on the page if you want. Or you'll get a series of emails that will give you the option to do it later if you decide to do that, too. But definitely, if you're resonating, it's time to, to pick up the phone and, and start or, you know, to sign up online and, and we'll talk to you on Zoom. Okay, um, so you're going to ask me for a Kellyism, aren't you? Uh huh. Or a Stevenism. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a long conversation. Um, how about this? We'll say becoming a shaman is the path of becoming truly yourself, which is not nearly who you thought you were. And that's all we have for this week, folks. Tune in next time when Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Jewel, here with Kelly Sparta and Stephen Black, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye. Bye. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car, I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Wondering where my spirit will I'm driving Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing But you feel like you kind of probably should Especially since... You seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together 
create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.